0: We are really excited to introduce our new podcast to you, From Uniforms to Unicorns. We're your hosts, Laura and Sharon. Two friends, moms, business owners, who happen to be in prison. From Uniforms to Unicorns. So grab a coffee, head out on your walk, or just take a break. Okay, so this is the second part of the two-part series that we're recording um, based on the information that we have on a timeline for um, women's prisons in Canada. Of course, I'm going to say this very, uh, I don't know how to say it, we, we don't have all the information, Sharon and for I sure. are
1: really like,
0: oh, remember this, oh, yeah. remember. and we're we're pulling stuff off the internet, so I mean... Our, our brains don't work the same way they used to after babies and trauma. And businesses. Uh, so we are, we're, this is, we're for sure not perfect at this. Let us be clear. Um, we are going to miss a few things. You're welcome to send us messages and say, you know, you missed this or you missed this. Yeah. We're actually talking about like, um, because we go back and think, oh, I should have said this. Oh, this would be cool. So we. We do have a website that we're working on, obviously, and we thought maybe we would blog some things in there that were like, oh, we forgot to mention this or oh, I think my brain was fuzzy when I when I said this. And, you know, here's to clarify if people are those types of people, I know some people are. Where Sharon and I are like, good, recorded, good, send it out. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, we're
1: not, so <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're totally not like that. So just, uh, yeah, we're we're letting you know that we are not perfect, and nor do we plan on being perfect. So we just thought, you know, we missed a couple of things last time, and in, in the while we were researching for this one and just kind of talking about um, some of the things that happened while we were at work there, we talked mostly about things that happened prior to us starting. At Edmonton institution for women we did get into a few things but we thought okay well we missed a couple of things so we'll talk about those first and then the next stuff that we'll talk about is basically just our experience what happened um,
1: yeah. in
0: a timeline uh, while we were working there. so um, totally Sharon, Sharon just wanted to share something she found
1: go ahead Sharon so uh, we talked about the riot in Kingston in 95, but we didn't mention the Arbor Report. So it was a huge report done after the riots and the task force. And basically in there, there was the recognition of Aboriginal practices for Aboriginal offenders, as they were called at the time, is there is an overrepresentation in the criminal justice system. So addressing their unique needs and basically equality for all offenders. And so that took us into the 2000s. So in the 2000s, uh, they recognized uh, the amount of substance abuse that attributed to all male and female offenders. It contributed to them committing crimes. So that stuff was there. And the, in 2003, the priority of the Public Safety Act All of these things came into effect after 9 11. So there were a lot of changes and corrections, and Canada Border Services came, uh, sorry, uh, they merged with other agencies uh, like customs and citizenship and immigration and food inspection, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. CSC had a sharper focus on public safety as well. Perfect yeah yeah.
0: so that like that happened right after you started right so you started 2002
1: 2002 so all of that stuff was already there I know I remember too in training we there was a a large percentage of the training where we were focused on aboriginal spiritual practices it was really cool because we got to participate in some of them we were shown the proper way uh I don't know that that people did that. And so it was really neat for me. I was, I think, 30 something. So it was my first ever uh, learning of it. And I, Mm -hmm. it's embarrassing to say, but that it's the truth, right? So a lot of the substance abuse uh, issues, lots of uh, AIDS was huge then STDs STIs. So a lot of that stuff had to be focused on rather than just here, you're in prison. See
0: you later. Right, yeah, totally. And I remember doing a lot of that stuff too. And there's a lot of um, rules around how you handle Aboriginal um, or Indigenous culture things, especially with like searches and things like that. The rules are very different. And I know when I came in in 2004, those rules were already in place. So, um, and we had to be very um, careful around the sacredness of certain things so and and we were right like we totally we yeah, always we, had a huge respect for things like that and we we recognized it and we were taught it in order but I same thing as you like I didn't know anything about yeah. any of it until um I went to training and things like you know moon times and you yeah know, and like it's really really interesting stuff and um very cool very cool stuff to learn. It was so that, super cool. So you came in
1: 2002. 2002. So also before I came, I should say a couple more points. Uh, The volunteer program was created in 2001. So that meant uh, organizations like EFRI, John Howard Society, they would come into the institution and and have visits with inmates. Uh, I talked about restorative justice already. And... Yeah, that was all. So when I came in 2002, the other thing they had started was a methadone maintenance program. So it's it's to assist uh, inmates with addictions to heroin, cocaine. Also my first experience seeing that firsthand. Mm-hmm. And And Lauren, you're laughing and smiling because there was lots of instances where the inmates, so they were on methadone and they would do lots of strange things we should say like at night we'd encounter them during a walk a lot of times they were sitting straight up like Mm -hmm. but they were asleep right it's a it's what would you call it it's a it's a legal high yeah that's right so there were so many problems centered around the program when it first came to get the proper doses to assist because uh, coming off of those major drugs uh, could kill a person right and mm-hmm. the last thing you needed to be doing is coming into a jail and coming off of those without any supervision or assistance so that's what that was in place for uh, so in my time and Lauren too like we had seen inmates uh, consuming it so we were there to make sure they consumed it with nurses and we'd also know that inmates would throw that up, and they could sell it back to another inmate so they could get high off of somebody's vomit.
0: (laughs) Right? And I I mean, I remember, I remember being part of a few instances where that did happen, right? At Mm -hmm. at our institution, and you have to be, we had to take them, they had to all take it, then we had to move them all um, to a specific area where they were monitored. And I, I believe it was a 30 minute monitoring. And then That's right. we had the incident and then it was a 90 minute monitoring. So to make sure that they, you know, it had
1: ingested, done, yeah, yeah, ingested,
0: done the effects that it needed to do to the person who was supposed to be getting the drug, not to the person who they were potentially vomiting up the drug for. Four. So um, it was, I remember it being like, yeah, we, ha- it was crazy. It happened at a certain time of day, I can see it like in my head. I can even I, I can see the inmates in the room. I could probably give yeah. you out of fourteen of them <laughs> singular names. I will not, yeah. but I
1: mean, um, but you could. And I could. Yeah, it's a it's a completely different experience because that's your job is to watch, make sure they've ingested it, make sure they're not puking, and then when we would do walks through the houses at night, we would see them sitting straight up, and it's like, are they a live breathing body? right have to go like approach them all of those things so it's just interesting as soon as i saw the methadone maintenance program i was like oh boy here we go right so uh, and, and i
0: i like my only experience of sitting there with them i watched people who um left corrections and the thing is when you leave um the jail you have to maintain this so you yes. have to go to uh pharmacy every single day where they actually monitor you for 30 minutes and a lot of times it was the process was trying to wean um, these women off this drug so that they didn't have to do this in the community but a lot of times they had to and they would come back and they'd have to start all over again because that's a huge commitment for somebody mm-hmm. who has a transitional lifestyle right
1: to totally
0: to say like oh you have to go to this shoppers every single day it doesn't matter where you are or who you're with, or if you have the capacity to get there or not, these are the rules. Um, And I know that
1: lots of them struggled after um, doing that. And so one time in the community in the community where I was, so I was out in the community after work. I wasn't working that day and I was with my baby at the time. She was a baby and we entered a pharmacy and I saw an ex inmate in there uh, preparing to do the methadone, and so we locked eyes, and I just completely turned, and she said, "Oh, Fernandez," and I'm like, "No, not me." Turned around, covered my daughter's head, and left the area. So, when you when you bring up the <laughs> the pharmacies, yeah, it will be in your local community. You will see people right. doing that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so.
0: There's new information for you if you have no idea what methadone maintenance program is. So
1: that was two thousand and three. Yeah. And then that was two thousand and two. So then, yeah. So we were there working. And what the other significant things that happened, uh, Lauren, your crew came in two thousand and four. And yeah, go. No, you go ahead. I was just gonna say it was the first time. That male correctional officers came into our jail to work.
0: Yes, so we we apparently we not apparently we did have two males prior to that that Sharon and I can remember. It might have been more, but we remember two. But our crew was the first crew that hired CX twos for Edmonton Institution for Women. So up until two thousand and two, this is a facility ran by female correctional officers, female correctional managers and by female inmates. And I know that I think we had a few um, people that worked like maintenance and stuff like that, that were male. male, But I mean that like the operational side of things, as far as security goes, was only females. So um, our crew came with, I think it was four, it might've been five. I can only remember four, but um, so that was interesting, right? Because the inmates right away were like, man, Ooh, yeah. Right.
1: Ooh. Right. So it was it was an adjustment. It was like this period of they basically went crazy to see mm-hmm. males in the institution, males doing walks, and we the females, it was hard on us because they weren't able to or allowed to. At that time, we're talking what 2003 2004 they weren't allowed to do certain things they couldn't be alone they couldn't do walks alone they couldn't uh i can't remember what else they couldn't operate cameras they couldn't be behind if there was incidents they they could be a first responder but they Mm -hmm. were a lot of times pulled off of that they couldn't do walks on midnights Mm -hmm. so it was frustrating at
0: first Mm-hmm. I, I remember like yelling at a few of them when it would be like uh we have a delivery at the gate and then dudes are just like uh, and i'm like seriously get get the fucking gate
1: and yeah do something <laughs> yeah put the toilet seat down and do your fucking job right like we're doing everything else this is the least you can do so get the fucking truck at the gate totally. blue job <laughs> I'm just like,
0: because the one guy who I was like, remember when I used to yell at you about popcorn, I used to yell at him about the gate too, poor guy. Uh, he like came from the military and I just like bossed him around. Yeah. So while well, I bossed most of them around, it, did not, it didn't matter to me who you were. It was like, okay, so these are the jobs that you're capable of doing without yeah. me holding your hand. Capable of doing a fence walk by yourself. Go do that. Go do that. Yeah. You're capable, of, but everything else was like strip searches, pat downs.
1: That's right. They couldn't, they couldn't do any of that. They can't do
0: like any of those things. Your
1: analysis like, testing, like there was a lot of stuff they couldn't do. And I remember there was like a handful of of dudes that were there that were so good, like they could totally. take on so many other tasks. But there was like a whole other side of them that would bask in that knowledge. Right right or
0: they'd be or i'd be like just switch me out and go do this job because that was we we had to have you know girl job boy job because there were 90 percent of the jobs girls could do but it was like okay i can take a dude with me to do this so you'll have to come with me to do that okay we'll have to get two girls to do the strip search okay we'll have to get two girls to do your analysis right so um, it was a constant, like, oh, never mind. You're useless to me. I gotta
1: find. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> we have to find someone else, somebody better like, well equipped. Yeah,
0: I remember, and I don't know if you remember this incident, but um, you were probably there. We had a gentleman who had just come off core, and uh, I'd gone into H House, and they had buzzed the wall. Said there was something going on there. Took this new person with me, um, and. For some reason he had the keys in his hand. And the whole time I'm trying to like de-escalate the situation, he is like shaking these keys.
1: Oh, uh, and it's like,
0: and the and the inmates are getting aggravated and they're like, What is your partner scared or something? And I was like, No, he's just new, just you know, I don't know if he's ever had like a verbal altercation <laughs> with inmates before and they're all fighting and whatever. It was really, really bad. But as we left, he told I remember walking like out of H house patio door and I just looked at him and I was like what the hell just happened there and he said uh and I remember who was in the duty office and everything he said it is against my religion to physically handle a female
1: oh god
0: and I was like pardon me
1: (laughs) yeah you're my backup yeah
0: yeah you're my like So if something would have went down in there, you, you just told me you would have done nothing about it. And I remember like, we, we'd had some issues with this person prior to this. Um, but I, I was just like, I was floored. I was like, how, how did you get this job is my number one question. Yeah. And what happened was he got the job because he applied to be a CX one, failed firearms, Oh. And they were like, oh, well, you don't need firearms to be a CX2. Yeah. And you got a high enough mark on the part A, Part B, so we'll make you a two, anyways. It went it went south very quickly. And I went into the duty office and I just said, I'm not working with him, and neither is anybody else working here with him at this facility because that was that was very stressful. If I would have had anybody else with me, it would have been like a non-issue. But I mean the escalation that happened based on the fact that he kind of just stood there staring and shaking keys in his hand was <laughs> like, I'm like, I can't handle this. So, And, he, and that's, that's he, the reality, right? I want to say he was fired. I actually want to say
1: he was fired. I, or, I think that he was, cause I'm remembering back because if you cannot do like a function of the job, you can't work there. And responding at that time, like between 2002 all the way up till we left, you had to respond. Sometimes it was daily, right? Right,
0: yeah. It went through those ebbs and flows of like everything, right? Things took, And let's just say this, we are significantly female, running a female facility. Like a lot of times people cycle at the exact same time. That's true. So be, prepared <laughs> be prepared for that time of the month. Yeah. And that means like one house at the same time. Sometimes people on the same crew the next house, the next week. Like we're constantly going through womenly like, like, things. So, yeah. like Together. And,
1: like the security unit, yeah. the segregation range, the full moons. Like even till, like I've been out of the service for how long? And I'm all like, oh, geez, the full moon. That This is what it means to me in the jail. But outside of the jail, you're just like, oh yeah. But th- yeah, the full moon. There's lots of things that mm-hmm. caught, I don't know caused an incident or but I'm I'm with you like I remember a, a guy came in off your crew and I was told to train him so I had two years on him which is not a lot of time but we were going through the houses and he was walking really fast and I was talking to him and telling him stuff like you got it and he was just zooming way past me so I stopped talking and eventually he said like are you going to tell me anything? And I said, it depends. Are you going to walk really fast and not listen and think you know what you're doing? Or, So he changed very quickly, like going all the way down. He changed his attitude because some of that, I don't know what you call it, that toxic masculinity is still there. Like I know better than her and right. I'm, I'm, I can walk, I can do this job faster, but that's not, the pace was never the point, right? It was always... No. Do your walk, uh, see what's going on, get a feeling, because that's sometimes what it was. Like, get a feeling for what's going on if something feels off, and do that several times in your shift. It's not about the sprint, right? Right. The finish line. Right. I'm like, we're not racing. There's no cookie at the end of this. So, basically, slow your roll, pal, shut up and listen, because that's how you learn, right? Yeah. And I I remember like we,
0: I think there was sometimes we were on hourly walks. That's right. So like to do a walk through the houses took about 45 minutes.
1: Mm -hmm. So I remember
0: those days it was like, just run, just run and get it done. So we can have a 15 minute break before the next one. But uh, that's exactly it. It's like, that doesn't help us in uh, security or anything like that. Right. It's basically, you're just, hitting the dicester points and moving forward. And
1: moving forward. Where and that's because it's supposed to be dynamic security. So you're checking things out, you're having conversations. Mm-hmm. You're sometimes they'll approach you and say, hey Fernandez, the shit's about to go down or whatever they want to say, right? Or they'll yeah. look at you or you've caught them doing something. There's always something going on. So that was dynamic security and why it was important in a in a community based uh, setting that we had in right. the jail there yeah
0: so yeah so and and you can and but two dudes couldn't do that together if you walked yeah. through the house, it had to be uh two females two fe- or two females or one female, one and dude, but I don't think after a certain time at night they could do it
1: yeah yeah because
0: I remember we would have to like move people around on shifts because we couldn't have too many
1: um male off males on yeah. Yeah. so uh so two th- I looked up for when we got uniforms, and it was okay. two thousand and five. So but we didn't get them. Two thousand five. We think didn't that's get when them. They were released. They were released.
0: So I thought. I think we got them in two thousand six. Yeah, I believe so. And I like. Do you remember the conversation we were having about this last week? How they like women's uniforms came, and remember how long the crotch was?
1: Yeah. They, the were the- s-
0: <laughs> <laughs> they were. They were not for, like Barbie dolls who yeah. would have like a you know a, a certain hip to. Uh, waist ratio, and I mean, they were like, I remember the first order we got, they were so freaking long in the crotch, they were like under my bra. Yeah,
1: because they you, were so- they were, you couldn't work in them. <laughs> you couldn't work I was like, n- nobody could work in them, right? So, a few of us sent them all back and just got men's uniforms, pants, yeah, we had to. men's pants men's shirt everything and then a few people some guards who will remain nameless got them tailored right and and mm-hmm. like low cut uh boot cut whatever you want to call it types and it was uh it changed things right it changed things mm-hmm. for us for the better i think like it
0: it well it put it put an us and them out there which i think at first, was a struggle, right? Because yeah. everything, everything before was kind of like, oh, we could sit at the table and talk, or oh, you know. And it didn't, I think, to other people, yeah. It kind of looked like, oh, they're just having conversations. Whereas, after that, if we sat down at like a picnic table on the, on the patio, it was like, oh, the guards are at a house. Oh, the the guards are whatever, the guards and they're probably, talking. Yeah. They're talking yeah. to the guards. Whereas before, we were in street clothes. They were in street clothes. It 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 changed the dynamic for sure. I'm not going to say for the worst because it actually, I think put that, I don't want to say barrier because it wasn't a barrier. It was kind of like, here's your, your window of opportunities. And here's the, the us against them. We're showing you like, and we had to do it. There were so many incidents where we didn't know if it was an inmate or staff based on, you know, the crappy cameras or whatever it was we had at the time. Um, and, and
1: lots lots of things were were changing at that time as right. well like yeah. the the uh, offender profile was changing like they right. were getting more they were getting younger more violent shorter sentences and there was like gang stuff happening uh, mm. corruption of staff intimidation and also mental health was on the rise and i know for me personally i i love the uniform because you just wear right. it and it felt like uh yeah it changed the way i felt like i felt more confident i was able to do my job i've got everything i need the tools on my belt like i i had everything that was given to me i didn't have things like handcuffs or that all that stuff would come would come later <laughs> so I think when
0: we got uniforms we were carrying cuffs though so prior so, to You
1: know when we got handcuffs? So, we still in 2006 were signing them out of the, like we had pouches, but we were signing them out per shift. We didn't have our own. Right. So, prior to 2006, we
0: signed them up. But before, I want to say when I came, we didn't even sign them
1: out. No, like when you, well, when when I was there, and when you came, we didn't sign anything out. So if you needed them, because some, something was going on, you radioed for them. Right, like you would say EF whatever. EF, yeah, 10, like to, we need handcuffs. So you would have an inmate pinned, and you would be waiting for another officer to run with handcuffs or leg irons or some kind of restraint. device, yeah. restraint. got you. And then we would walk them to the segregation range or wherever they were going. But no, the control was all uh, hands on, like with force. And
0: I always say this to people. They're like, oh, when people ask me questions, they're like, so like you guys like billy club them or what? I'm like, no, um, No. (laughs) actually, that doesn't happen. I said, honestly, my biggest weapon was always my voice. Always the way that I talked to them, always the things that I said, most of the time we diffuse situations with the rapport that we'd built with the inmates or by, you know, your partner having a rapport with them or something else. It was very rare that we had a use of force.
1: Totally. It was uh, lots of verbal intervention at the beginning. You were able to just talk him down before it ever got, I don't like physical, right? And yes. if, if it was physical, then you were using your self-defense techniques or, right. you know, but I would assist. say like
0: 90% of the time we were able to have conversations, lead the, lead the inmate up to the main building at least yeah. to ha- and be like, okay, you're going to segregation. We never like, ha-
1: not Had to never. handcuff.
0: That's not, yeah. that's not true. Not never. But there were times where it was like, let's just get up to the front area. I will talk where I knew that there was more support around when I told the person you're going to say based on that's anything. right, whatever. Um, plus the heckups were closer. So it was like, I don't want to have to drag this person <laughs> or, you know, like it was, to- there, there's a million things that go through your head when you are in um, trying to verbally um, deal with this situation and you're thinking, okay, what's next? Okay. I've, and your head is racing so far ahead of you to like, okay, I would, okay, if she keeps standing like that, I'm going to do a straight arm bar takedown, but if That's she right. this way, then I'll just wrist throw her this way, and then, uh, okay, so I hope that person doesn't move, and I hope that person, like, you're That's constantly, right. like, thinking, if you're okay, thinking,
1: yes, and talking, and and you're looking, of- and, and you're looking to your partner, too, and hoping that they've got your back and who's right. who takes the lead is the other thing like a lot of times you it doesn't matter if that person's senior staff to you it's all about who has the rapport who's been in the in incidents before and how is this going to go down so right. that's what it is if you can talk them off the ledge so to speak then that's what you do but a lot of times you can't they've lost it so mm-hmm hmm
0: yeah, so I remember most of, the, most of my handcuffing took place in the main building after we had, like, diffused the situation enough to get them to come up, have the conversation, hey, you're going to segregation, we're going to cuff you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, um, that's right. Okay, and then we were talking about, uh, earlier, we were talking about smoking.
1: Smoking. So the smoking ban was uh, started in and where they were saying, we're going to do a smoking ban. It's all going to be gradual. So 2006 came an indoor smoking ban and the full smoking ban uh, came in 2008. Okay.
0: So, so when I started in 2004, I smoked and we never, I don't think the inmates were ever allowed to smoke in their house. When I well, there started. There was a smoking room, remember? Oh yes, there was a smoking room. There was a room. smoking room. Yes, 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 yes. And, but I remember like standing on the patio, like having smokes with inmates, like having a smoke, it was like crazy. And they would go around and pick up butts. Remember we had like that, at the, uh, the duty office door there we had like a butt thing a and can. yeah they would yeah. go in there
1: and pick the we should say pick the cigarette butts not pick our butts but <laughs> you know <laughs> they yeah they would they would take them out of there they'd roll like what little tobacco was left and they would roll like a, a new smoke yeah so they could smoke uh in in their home in a smoking room and then they would be of course they didn't right so they right. they could be charged and then they could smoke on their patio and then right. they got the full well, th- that was all across Canada. It was just like you couldn't smoke inside. So the yeah, federal they could, buy, they could buy
0: smokes at canteen. they could tailor made, they were they'd call them tailor made,
1: or they could buy the tobacco,
0: like the and the, the buckets. Yeah, yeah, the buckets.
1: Oh, Sharon, I remember, I know. So that when that ban came. It was bad, right, because everybody was wanting to smoke and right.
0: but they't the, okay, so on the secure unit though we smoked they smoked on the secure unit in their cells, yeah, for the first two years, maybe even a little bit longer. Then we had that lighter outside, and we would give them their smokes, they weren't allowed to have smokes in their cells, we would give them their smokes when they went outside. But lots of times, because they couldn't have their tobacco or anything, we had to like roll their smokes for them. Yeah, and that's we would right. Roll, we would like roll them under the door and light them. Oh my god, light gosh, them for them. Like, yeah, we'd open the remember we'd open the slot and the food light slot. Light the smoke. Long. I yeah. think we light seg smoke like.
1: Every thirty minutes because they minutes. we had to do half an hour walks down there, so they'd say, "Can we get a smoke?" And we'd say, "No, go to bed right?" but then they'd say "It's all right, and if we didn't then they'd start like losing it, so you'd have yeah. to be on their lighting smokes right so
0: that is crazy to me to think that we would walk down that range all day long beyond the security unit where they're like sitting at the table, you know that I can see them on the on the self pod sitting at. The, Smoking, smoking. watching TV, just like, I can't even believe that we did that.
1: And we were doing walks through that, right? And then somebody said, oh, hello, secondary smoke inhalation, right? Duh. Oh, really? So then, yeah, they came up with that. And so then they had to smoke outside. Yeah, then they had to smoke outside and then they weren't allowed to smoke, period. Right, right. So they just, like, it was a zero tolerance. But that was 2008. So there was... The smoking ban, then there was a zero tolerance strategy introduced to start to eliminate drugs in the prison because it was getting to be huge. So mm-hmm. they introduced newer technology at the front gates. They introduced, they had, they already had drug, drug dogs, but the teams had been increased. The searches were increased. There was more, we had more equipment to search with to find drugs. Right.
0: Yeah. And we did more like big searches. Big searches. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We tried not to show up to work that day,
1: 13. We tried to
0: keep it super quiet, but people would find out and then they'd do a shift change and then they'd be like, "Ha, ah!
1: <laughs> like Hat!
0: I don't want to be a part of this big, Oh, big drug shank down. Yeah. Um, the other thing that when we talk about drugs and stuff like that, uh, people always ask me like, do they make brew? And oh, I remember, God. I remember that brew, um, That we found that was like the size of a a staff member. Do you remember we took a photo of her?
1: That's right, holding it,
0: and it was like the, it was like four or five massive garbage bags that they had taken from maintenance. And they uh, they make brew with bread and fruit uh, through the fermentation fermentation process, and they'd hit it, and someone, someone could smell it. I remember you could you could all the time like. Well, yes. we had
1: one certain officer that could sniff it out yes. whenever she, she could smell it. So we were always like, oh, it's somewhere in here. And they'd stick it over heat. Right. So that it would ferment quicker. would ferment. They they did, I don't know if you remember, they did a potato one. It was so gross. And then we were carrying it down the stairs and it spilt all the way down the stairs, oh. all over people's clothes. It was it was funny, but not funny, right? It was disgusting, but that is like so gross. It was so heavy to carry, and it was dis. It was like rotting potato smell. Mm-hmm.
0: We had yeah. that one. Was it New Year's? We had that one New Year's where they got had a brew, and it yes. was awful. We had people throwing up all over the B and C. It was. We had to take people to the hospital. It was. It was total chaos. So people asked me about like drugs and alcohol and and stuff like that all the time. So um, yeah. yeah that's that's if you don't know anything about brew now you know now you now know you know
1: <laughs> if you ever get stuck in some situation you know how to bread. make it now. A yeah.
0: couple oranges. <laughs> and if they got caught with a the brew then they couldn't have remember they couldn't
1: have they, they couldn't have that ve- yeah veg or fruits and bread like they would be given dried fruit. Do you remember that? Yeah those dried fruit bars and they would get so mad. Yes so and
0: bread that didn't have yeast in it and it would it was almost like a big breadcrumb in a bag. Yeah. <laughs> they were so mad. We're like, you can't be mad. And, yeah. But the, part, the shitty part about it is like the whole house was put on it for like yeah. a long time. And if only three or four of them engaged in it. But I mean, like that's how you've got to place each other in some aspects. Because, totally. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: okay. So then 2000, what year did you leave to have baby? Uh,
1: so I, she was born in 2008. So I was on the roster and t- like very, very quickly when I was pregnant, I came off the roster 2007 yeah. and then I did intake parole work right. and then I left to have the baby that that was late. So I left to have her in 2008 and then I took, I did my mat leave and took a little bit of extra time off.
0: Right. So you came yeah. back in
1: 2009
0: and then yeah. I would have left. February, 2010. And then took a year off. And then so I mean, like these kind of these kind of situations, it's like, I don't know what happened. Do you know what happened? This? Is, yeah, right? Like, I, I came back, I remember I came back from having my first son. And um, I wasn't sure I came back on like a part time, I did job share with, um, with one of our buddies there. And uh it, that was that was super awesome and i worked in visits and correspondence so that um that was starting to change too like we were um we were.
1: yeah it was just changing things right yeah
0: yeah things At were changing first, and yeah. we were getting different things coming in through the mail like Everything started to change, remember? Like around I want to say two thousand eleven. And I think the change for me was like I came back and two um CTPs had come in.
1: Yeah. A and, lot of yeah. A and, lot of
0: rookies, right? And a lot of people had left. They'd gone to parole or they'd gone to programs or they've gone to and I was like, Oh, what is this? Yeah. I don't know how- <laughs> people and I come in and they're like who's this chick and I'm like what are you you talking about I've been here forever (laughs) that's so Uh, true yeah so true okay well um that kind of and then I left in 2012 you left in 2014 or I think so yeah Yeah. okay okay so I think for today we'll just kind of close
1: it off there we'll end it there because it's a bigger conversation to talk about what changed for us after we had babies and came back. Cause it was uh, different for us, right. Which we'll get into next time. And yeah, yeah, we're loving all the feedback I wanted to say, and we really hope you guys keep listening and keep messaging us because we love it. Yes, it's... we do. We're,
0: we're very appreciative of all the support and the encouragement people from across Canada that, we've had, you know, some of our officers share it, um, all over Canada or, and I know some people in the U S that, and we've gotten messages just saying like, Hey, thanks for talking about these things because totally. I can not really relate to it. Or, Hey, you know, thanks for sharing that because I, you know, I didn't understand where this person was coming from and now I completely understand. So, um, yeah, we're, we're
1: having fun doing it. So we're, we gonna, are. This we're gonna, really, it's quite fun. It's, making us laugh in case you didn't notice. Yeah. (laughs) Just
0: talking about, ah, just talking about fun stuff that, that we did and things that we were a part of that, um, we, you know, you almost forget about as you, as you go through the years. And then like, even when we were talking about, I'll just say this real quick, the methadone thing today, I was like, oh my gosh, I can see, like, I I can hear it like on the, On the paging system, I can see <laughs> ourselves, and you
1: know, yeah, I in
0: care. I can see who's in the lot. Like it's just crazy to me to think
1: like that was my daily routine. Not, I know, and not it's like get ago. your coffee, get your water bottle. So you're gonna be sitting there for an hour and a half, right? So. <laughs> Yeah, and you're like
0: totally late because you forgot. Like every day, I forgot.
1: Yeah. Every
0: day when I was that number, I was like, Oh, right. Like you always <laughs> wanted that number, but then when it became the methadone number, you're like, I'll trade you. No, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. 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 Okay. Well, thanks, Sharon. Okay. Love I'll talk to you. Later. Love you. Bye. Bye. Hey, that's all for today. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure that you subscribe to be notified when new episodes are released. And if you have a second, we would love a review. You can find us on Instagram at from uniforms to unicorns. And if you happen to know anyone else that would be interested in tuning in, please share this podcast with them. We greatly appreciate it. Love, Lauren and Sharon.